37 out of 47 faculty at Barrett signed a really nasty letter of condemnation for the event, but they were calling Prager and Kirk purveyors of hate and homophobes and, and things like that. And so it just got ugly. This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, July 28th. I'm Rob Bluey. And those were the words of Tom Lewis, one of our country's most generous philanthropists. Over more than 20 years, his T.W. Lewis Foundation has funded causes helping children and families, educational institutions, and nonprofit organizations like the Heritage Foundation. But last month, Lewis made news for another reason. It was a donation that he terminated with Arizona State University. You see, Lewis pulled his funding following the school's mishandling of an event with Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager in February. The Arizona State event was hosted by the university's T.W. Lewis Center for Personal Development, and it sparked an outrage from professors and accusations of censorship from the center's former executive director. Lewis spoke to the Daily Signal about his decision to pull the funding and the state of higher education in America today. Before we get to my interview with Tom Lewis, let me tell you about another Heritage Foundation podcast. How do we take back America? It starts with ideas, ideas we take on offense to reclaim our country. That's why I can't recommend The Kevin Roberts Show highly enough. It's a deep dive on critical issues that plague our nation, plus conversations with high-profile guests from across the conservative movement. It's a roadmap on how we can protect our nation from bad ideas and get it back on track. You can find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts or go to heritage.org slash podcasts. Tom, welcome back to the Daily Signal podcast. We're always grateful to have guests return and especially grateful for you, given your support for our organization. Well, thank you, Rob. I've been involved with Heritage for a long time, and my respect for Heritage continues to grow and um, really appreciate the, the work you do there, too. When you appeared on our show last year, we talked mostly about your book, Solid Ground, a foundation for winning in work and in life. And I remember from that interview what an important role college played in your life. That's certainly relevant to the topic that we're talking about today, given the controversy at Arizona State. But before we get into that, I would really appreciate you sharing people about your life and why college and your experiences in the workforce shaped how you think and basically how you make the donations with the T.W. Lewis Foundation. Yeah, you know, um, well, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. My family was, were, my dad was Navy for 20 years. We moved around until I was about 12. And then we then we returned back to my parents' home, which is Kentucky. And uh, mostly my parents were from eastern Kentucky, Appalachia. And I used to spend a lot of summers up there with a lot of the, the, the natives of eastern Kentucky and and uh, those were my relatives. And uh, but we grew up in Lexington, which is a nice town with pretty good schools. And I, I never considered going anywhere. I really couldn't afford it, other than the University of Kentucky. And you know, I became a big Kentucky fan when I got there. Anyway, you know, with football and basketball, and and it was right there in our in our backyard. So I was kind of hooked by the time I was 13 on Kentucky. And uh, I like to joke when I went there. Uh, I got a full scholarship um, uh, coming out of high school. Uh, a, a philanthropist happened to die in a plane crash uh, about that time. And he set up a scholarship to go to the University of Kentucky and major in engineering. 
and I got that scholarship. And uh, it was full tuition, and the tuition in 1967 was $115 a semester. So um, that's hard to believe now, but that's what it was, uh, $900 for four years. Okay. But but the point, though, was that, that that scholarship meant so much to me. I mean, back then, that was a big deal. And, and I would, you know, and my mother was happy and my family was happy. And it was just a, you know, it meant a lot. I mean, and so I really understood how much scholarships mean to kids coming out of high school. It's really an endorsement of them. And somebody else other than their mother and father, you know, see potential in them. And so that was my big impression there. And so, um, and then, you know, I, I was so active at Kentucky as, as, a, as a student leader. And really most of the things I learned was outside the classroom, you know, getting involved in campus activities and leadership activities and living in a fraternity house and just had so many friends and it was so much fun and good teachers. And it was just, it was, it was a great experience, the, the most fun I've ever had in my life. So I've, I've I've always been a huge advocate of college. And, I'm, you know, I love to travel the country and go to football and basketball games on different campuses. And I just always enjoyed being on college campuses and being around college students. And, uh, but then, so, so you know, when I, when I became able to become a donor, which was, you know, over 25 years ago, I started, you know, donating to uh, First University of Kentucky, then the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where I got my MBA. And then later uh, in Arizona, where we live at ASU and the, and the Barrett Honors College. And so for 20 years, I, I gave you know money to all three of these schools. And usually they were, you know, one to two to three year gifts. And then I would, you know, they were supposed to do something and then they didn't really do it. And then I would kind of get on them about it. And then they would promise to do better. And then I would do it again and just over and over. And the 20 years that I gave to all three of these universities was really, uh, I have to say, a steady series of disappointments where, for example, you sponsor a class and you pay for a faculty member and they're supposed to teach a course on some subject and use books as resources. Well, th they refuse to use any book that a donor would, would recommend, but they don't tell you that. They just don't do it. And then they morph the content of the class away from your intent toward whatever they want to teach. So, you know, it was hard to really learn that. But, but that's what happened. You know, that's kind of a summary of what happened over the 20 years. And it, it makes me think of the, of the saying, you know, how do things go bad? And, uh, you know, the joke is that at first it starts gradually and then it happens suddenly. And... Uh, I think that's really the short story of public universities in America over the last 40 years, really, uh, is they've been gradually getting uh, worse uh, relative to their curricula and their, and their product quality. And, uh, and then, then when the George Floyd uh, incident happened and COVID happened, it happened very suddenly. And now I think finally, most people are waking up to that. 
Tom, you mentioned your gift to Arizona State. Of course, you began giving uh, several years ago, and you established there a, a center uh, with your name on it. Um, and, you know, it was quite prominent, uh, featured in the news of, over the last several months, given a controversial speech that uh, took place with, given by Charlie Kirk and, and Dennis Prager, two good friends of, of this organization and, and this show. Uh, the T.W. Lewis Center for Personal Development hosted that. Tell us what exactly transpired in February and what led you to make the decision that you would no longer fund Arizona State when my understanding is now they've completely disbanded this center that had your name on it. Yes. Well, you know, we have an executive director in this program at ASU called the T.W. Lewis Center for Personal Development. And the concept behind that center was, first of all, to better prepare the students for the for the challenges and opportunities of life. And the way you prepare them is to make them smarter and make them stronger. So uh, so we were going to make them stronger by providing workshops on how to balance your checkbook and buy a car and have speaker series on to, to, to get to talk to and hear from doctors and lawyers, and people from all walks of life and all different career types, because you know, in college, nobody on our college campus has a clue about what it's like to navigate a career outside of academia. You know, and so most people are not there to get a PhD. So you know, they they don't they don't. There's no one to give anybody any advice, and they don't bring in these kinds of speakers. So we that's what the center was all about. And we also though included in our gift agreement that it would be speakers that would address traditional American values like faith, family, freedom, and free enterprise. Well, you know, I learned later that, uh, that the free enterprise topic was very controversial. Most of the faculty you know, were anti-capitalist. They didn't want to teach free enterprise. They wanted to turn it into anti-free enterprise. And so but anyway, we went ahead with these speaker series, and we had over 150 events. Uh, and, and I mean, we had an event every week for a couple of years, and uh, it was really a great thing. We had a lot of uh, students, you know, 7,000 students at Barrett Honors College, and we had a lot of participation, and, and it was really a good thing. Um, but then we, we kind of took on a, a, a big event to bring in Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager, and it was kind of a marquee event. We had it in the big auditorium at ASU called the Gamage Auditorium. Seats about two or three thousand people. We put on big big events there, and when we scheduled the event, we uh, we knew it would be controversial because of Prager and Kirk, but we we wanted to make our point that you know this is America and this is free speech and 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 these people uh, are going to talk. But the su- the subject matter was 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 health, wealth, and happiness, and. You know, and knowing Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk, and you know they're both they're strong men of faith, but they're also incredibly wise men. And and then Robert Kiyosaki was also on board to talk about wealth. So it was really a very positive topic. And but then uh, once that word came out, you know, ASU's reaction from the administrators is, well, you know, what are these people going to talk about? And we don't want them talking about anything political, and we don't want them to. You know, they're starting to come up with these parameters on what they could say and couldn't say, and and uh, and then the faculty got really crazy, and they all uh, 37 out of 47 faculty at Barrett 
signed a really nasty letter of condemnation for the event. You can find it online. But they were calling Prager and Kirk purveyors of hate and homophobes and and things like that. And so it was just it just got ugly. Uh, now then then we went ahead and had the event. There was fifteen hundred people there, uh, most students, a lot of non-students actually. Um, but what we learned right after it was how how much the students had been suppressed, how teachers in the classroom had told them not to go to the event. If they did go to the event, they they would they might pay a price. Uh, and the students that, that did want to go didn't want to get filmed in the audience because they didn't want their teachers to know they attended. And so there's just all this behind-the-scenes suppression going on. And uh, the dean of the Honors College at Barrett called in Ann Atkinson, and, and they kind of, you know, wanted to quiz her about, you know, why she let this happen. And, and, and so it just got really ugly. And um, so it was pretty clear to me that I, I had no reason to continue supporting an organization like this, that where a faculty is out of control, they're very radicalized. Um, I'd say half of them are probably radical, but the other half are, uh, don't speak up. And, uh, and the administrators were complicit. And, and 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 in their passivity, it was it was their way of approving, and so they really did approve it. I mean, and and, and they were they don't a lot of those people don't believe in free speech. They they just don't think that if free speech is hate speech, then you can't say it. So and they get to define what hate speech is. So so it really showed it exposed, I believe, a very ugly condition in in ASU that I think is. You know, in in most big public universities, if not all of them, that is just this unwelcome uh, attitude toward what we'll call conservative thinking and traditional thinking, and uh, and and religion and things like that that America has been built on. So there was no way I was going to continue to write checks to them, uh, given the the blatant disregard for the intent of our center and. Uh, so it was pretty easy to make that decision. I wrote a letter to the dean and the, and the foundation at ASU and just told them that based on the level of hostility toward these speakers at this event, I could no longer trust them to really steward our funds. And so I terminated our agreement, which I had the right to do. So that's the short story. Was this the first time that you've had to terminate a recurring gift of this nature? Um, yes. Wow. No, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I actually had, I had two gifts to Barrett. The first one lasted two years and was bigger. But then I realized how badly the faculty was performing. And so I terminated that agreement, but told the dean I wanted to, to change the agreement and, and back off on the funding to, to the to the courses because the faculty was not um, adhering to the, to the to the plan, so I did do that. That was done quietly, and then we then we it, it, you know within a month implemented a new agreement, and so it really is. And then the new agreement was the one that I canceled after one year. So uh, yeah, so I've canceled it twice. 
Uh, amazing. And what is your reaction to Arizona State President Michael Crow's response, who, which generated quite a bit of publicity that he had to come out and state and adhere that Arizona State was adhering to free speech principles? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, the Arizona State Legislature uh, called a, a hearing. It was a one-day hearing. Uh, they had Dennis Prager come and speak. They had other people. The, the director of the program spoke. Uh, I did not attend that, but I watched it. And uh, so the state legislature, uh, which is conservative, or is led by conservatives, uh, had that hearing. And then the conclusion was they would give ASU 60 days to respond to, to, the, to the accusations, really. And um, but I think you know Michael Crow is uh, is kind of tried to stay out of this. Uh, I think uh, he's not really um, said much at all. I mean, he did come out with a statement that said something to the effect that uh, there's some confused folks out here that don't understand free speech as it relates to ASU. <laughs> okay, and. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, that, but but he's in he's so uh, buffered by his huge bureaucracy down there that I don't think he's really getting a straight story. I think in his mind, and Michael, I know Michael Crow, and he's a good man, but he uh, he's he's in the ivory tower, and he I think in his mind, uh, ASU is a bastion of free speech, but uh, he doesn't know what's really going on, and uh, and his his uh, close advisors. Uh, aren't telling him, and so I think uh, this this media is um, is getting his attention, and uh, they've now hired a law firm to represent them in this hearing request, and uh, so the, the you know it's, it's being elevated uh, to a higher level. But Rob, you know what I want to say to your listeners though, as a longtime lover and donor to universities, is that. We need we need to fix these organizations, and but but before you can solve a problem, you have to understand it. And and briefly, here's what I think is the problem: it starts really with the faculty. They've become more and more radicalized, especially the younger ones. They don't want to teach, you know. They want to teach a, a you know. It's always been a three three load, three courses per semester. That's not very much. Uh, they want to teach two two loads. Uh, they want to have six students in their classes or fewer students. They, they, they complain about too many classes, too many students. You know, they don't believe in free speech. Uh, on most campuses, there's this concept. It's really, it's really uh, misleading. Uh, they call it shared governance, and it's you know the, the the presidents of the universities use that phrase because they share governance of the university with faculty, and so. In other words, that gives faculty this concept that they they have a voice and and their voice matters. Well, most of the time it doesn't matter, but but they, they like to be led to believe that it does. And then there's this issue of academic freedom. You know, academic freedom has always meant, you know, used to mean the uh, freedom of a professor or teacher to pursue truth in their discipline wherever it leads them. That was always the definition of, of, of academic freedom, but like, like the left always does, they redefine things, and so they've now expanded that to where they they have somewhere I read a statement that they uh, they believe they have the right to weigh in on any social or political issue inside or outside the classroom, and 
say whatever they want, whenever they want, to whoever they want. You know, so they feel like they kind of have this 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 superior freedom. And uh, you know, I got I got a phone call yesterday, Rob, from a student at Barrett that was really upset by this. Uh, she's a foreign student, but she she wants to talk to me about how she felt whenever she would want to say something that they didn't agree with. And so there's a lot of kids like that, and, and my heart goes out to them. But so anyway, the faculty is kind of, the, the to me, the problem, and it's, it's literally the inmates running the asylum, you know, because they, and and if you if you look around at the university and you try to try to find the person that is in charge of improving curricula, you can't find them because there, there is no one. Um, one time I was talking to a provost who is you know, supposed to be the top academic officer of, the, of a major university, and I asked him what his top goal was, and uh, that was kind of a trick question. I wanted to see what he said, and he said increasing enrollment by 20%. I mean, so that's the chief academic officer. That's what they're up. That's what they want. They know that college applicants are going down. They know out-of-state students pay more. They know international students are easy to get and pay more. So that's what they're trying to do, they're, and they're all competing with each other. So, but the administrators though are are complicit in all of this, and they they act like they're not. They act like they're above it. Uh, My, Michael Crow's comment. When someone asked him uh, what's going on at ASU after this event, his reaction was, "Well, that's just faculty being faculty. You know, it'd be like your children throwing spears at somebody, and then the parents saying, "Oh, that's just kids being kids." You know, so that's what he said: faculty being faculty. But um, so there's really, uh, you know, the administrators are complicit in this whole thing, and, and the faculty. Are, is it kind of the point, point of the spear? But I think the solution, I think uh, get a Republican governor. Um, I was just in Aspen yesterday with the Republican Governors Association, and there's a lot of good Republican governors, 26 of them right now. And, uh, and like Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, they can pull, first pull DEI and CRT out of the classroom. This this thing right now through uh, Title IX and, and, and the DEI, bureaucracy, most universities had a DEI officer in every college. And so, for example, at the University of Kentucky, there's like 26 colleges. They have 26 DEI officers, full, usually full-time. So th these are just people that are running around trying to enforce all these, uh, you know, race, gender, class, racist, racial kind of perspectives on everything. And then, uh, this whole concept of inclusion is uh, so. Anyway, I think we start with eliminating DEI and CRT, but you know, I, I think donor pressure on on funding. Uh, I mean, donors need to wake up and 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 realize what they're what they're funding. And I think um, a, most of the main donors at these public universities are conservatives. I mean, I I know that the, the two biggest donors at ASU, they're both friends of mine. They're both conservatives. I know the top three donors at the University of Kentucky, they're all conservative. So somehow the conservatives tend to be the big donors. <laughs> and uh, and I think there's gonna you're gonna see a lot of of that, you know, changed. Having recently interviewed Chris Rufo about his new book, America's Cultural Revolution, it's 
quite clear to me that this is the left's long march through institutions, and it's the consequence of that. Uh, a two-part question for you, Tom. You you said you recently spoke to a student. So how should students who hold Christian or conservative beliefs navigate the anti-free speech environment that you speak of on college campuses? And then also, to your last point, what advice do you have for others who may be in a similar position to you as donors? Yeah, well, I, I'd say first on the students, I mean, it's hard because if you're 19 years old, you want to fit in and you want to, you know, kind of go along and that's that's very natural. So that kind of, that's why the suppression is so unfair. But I think, first of all, today, if you're a conservative student, I think you have to get a, a support group and then you have to stand together and then you have to raise your hand and speak out and let the chips fall. and. Uh, not be intimidated, but you do need a support group of other students, and that's what I would would hope for. Um, and then I think relative to other donors, I mean, every donor has their own reason for giving, and uh, um, you know, and and mine was just always to to try to help students, you know, have better lives and, and better careers, and 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 find their talent and things things that I talk about in my book. That book was written for college students really, on, on how to be successful. And, you know, it was also based on a lot of myths that are being promulgated out there today, like, you know, find your passion, do what you love, you know, live your dream, 30s, the new 20, you know, work smarter, not harder. That, that's what they're hearing. So it's really bad. It's not just bad advice, it's terrible advice. And it's wrong. And so it doesn't work. <laughs> so. Um, so that's really why I wrote Solid Ground was to try to address the many myths that are out there in culture, uh, and they basically are, are living loud at, at public universities. Tom, how will this recent controversy and your experiences with higher ed shape how you make future gifts uh, from the T.W. Lewis Foundation? Well, I'm going to take a pause on any public universities for a while. I'm pretty much wrapped up there and uh, I am wrapped up there. And uh, so, you know, our foundation is very active. We, we give to a lot of different causes from, from, uh, you know, foster children to battered women, to Christian education, to medical programs for melanoma and migraines and to, to organizations like heritage and Arizona first policy Institute. And a lot of the good conservative groups in DC that are, really making a difference uh, for our movement. So there are plenty of good organizations to give to. Um, there's no shortage. <laughs> and and uh, so, but you just have to pick and choose. And and I think, uh, you know, as I've become an experienced donor, you know, I I have expectations for every gift that, that we make. And it, I think that's appropriate. And that um, when the expectations aren't met, uh, you maybe give them another chance. And then if they don't do it, you, you you go somewhere else. And that's what I think everyone should do. Well, I, I appreciated the, the advice that uh, you circulated in the wake of everything and suggesting that these universities should really talk to their customers, uh, the parents and the students who are the ones yeah. who are ultimately 
supposed to be there in a learning environment and hopefully learning the American principles of free yep. speech as, as, as first and foremost. And so uh, I just uh, closing words from you as to where you see things going next. I mean, are, are you <laughs> are you leaving us on a on an optimistic note or are you leaving us on a pessimistic note about uh, the future of higher ed in America? Well, I think we're kind of at a bit of a crossroads. I think it's there's not much optimism out there right now in the public universities. I think public universities need what K through 12 is getting, which is school choice, or, or let's call it school freedom. So, you know, I think we need to increasingly offer alternatives to public education or public university education. I mean, there's a lot of those out there from from two-year trade programs to to uh, community colleges to small colleges, um, and uh, I think parents are going to need to get involved and, and and get a little smarter about what's going on in the school where they're sending their children, because so many parents in America over the last 20 years have sent their kids away to college, and then when they come back, they don't recognize them. And as, as Dennis Prager talks about a lot, you know, there's so many kids that don't even talk to their parents anymore. So you really need to be, as a parent, very aware of, of the, what the school is teaching. Tom, I really encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of your book. Again, it's called Solid Ground, A Foundation for Winning in Work and in Life. Leave us uh, with some thoughts about where they can follow your work, pick up a copy of the book. Anything else, uh, closing thoughts on your mind today? Well... You know, we're we're getting a little more active on social media. Our, our handle is, is T.W. Lewis. And uh, so we're, we're beginning to put some more messages out there. But um, and also promoting the book of The Message of Solid Ground, because I, I still think that's very relevant. And um, but it, it's an interesting world. And I think uh, we see a big challenge here. And I think there's there's a lot of people that are that are really upset. And, and and have seen this thing happening in, in universities for a long, long time. And I've, I've heard from hundreds of people, many that I don't know, some from as far away as London, England. And so th- this is, I think, touching a nerve. And uh, I think that's how solutions begin, you know, is awareness. Well, Tom Lewis, thank you so much for standing up uh, for these important principles and for the many contributions you've made to, to help our country and help so many individuals benefit and have an opportunity just like somebody gave you when, when you were in uh, approaching college yourself. Uh, we're grateful uh, that you would join us again on the Daily Signal podcast, and we'll be sure to include a link to that previous interview in our show notes. So for any listeners who want to check that out, uh, they are able to listen to that interview from last year. And uh, Tom, please keep us posted on uh, what you have happening in the future. We'd love to have you back again. Well, great, Rob. Always look forward to talking with you and and look forward to staying in touch. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't had a chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed, where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. And we'll be back with you at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. 
Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.